This is Aliens and Artists, part two of our conversation with Exo Academian. I'm your host, Stuart Davis. This is the Plus Edition, VIP, extra special, exclusive with Exo Academian. It's very actual, actually. He's host of the exemplary podcast, Point of Convergence. In part two, we jump into all kinds of puzzles, including a question we call the territory versus the traveler. Also, low levels of development and high positions of power, and the search for an anomalous theory of everything. But first... Exo, are some of these craft living organisms? What are your thoughts on the nuts and bolts inanimate variety versus those that are harder to categorize? My wife and I had a sighting of something that was 10 or 12 foot long cylindrical billowing plasma-like object or being 15 or so feet away from our faces. I could have hit it with a couch cushion, but I also wonder if the cushion would have just passed through it. It seemed perhaps permeable. Was it a craft or a living organism? I don't know. What's your take on that part of the neighborhood? Yeah, I mean, first, first I want to ask you, did you get a sense of conscious intelligence from this? That it seemed conscious? I'd say yes, because this sighting occurred moments after my wife, my daughters, and myself had just had a really meaningful conversation about death. Very raw, very emotional. We finished. My daughters went downstairs. Moments later, my wife and I had this sighting. And I know they're connected, but I don't know how or why. Yeah, I mean, fascinating case. And I would completely agree with you that that's not coincidental. And you hear about those cases all the time, especially, you know, the orb type things that kind of look like balls of energy more so than completely like hard physical structures. And often they seem to be connected with the afterlife, or even some people have suggested that deceased human beings, entities in between physical incarnations can take on the form of that. I mean, I think there will be some people who might even suggest to you that based on the context of the conversation you just had, maybe that was a deceased relative that was showing up to say, hey, this is what it's like, you know, when you make that transition, who knows? Some people do have those experiences that nothing about the orb itself or the ball of energy looks like grandma, but they sense grandma. You know, they, they just, they get that feeling like that's who that is. So, but this sort of, again, speaks to what I was discussing earlier with phenomenon versus phenomena. We don't know, again, we don't have baselines, so we can't say, well, we know from study A that when it's this kind, then it's clearly a deceased human being. Whereas when it looks like this, it's, you know, from this galaxy and it's an, an ET species. We just don't have these baselines. So we try and look at the data. We try and generate hypotheses. Uh, we look for patterns. But one thing I come back to is you inevitably end up asking big questions, the biggest questions about the ultimate nature of reality, the fabric of reality, when you really look into this phenomenon with an open mind. I think that even if you come into it with a desire to be sort of a nuts and bolts researcher and you just are interested in this next gen technology or the possibility of a totally physical biological species from Alpha Centauri is actually visiting us. If you look long enough and you really pay attention to all the data, it quickly goes in all sorts of different directions. 
and you end up with this array of phenomena that people are experiencing, and it's hard to know how it's all connected. And there have been plenty of suggestions that even if they are ETs or interdimensional ETs or ultra-terrestrials, that they seem like you talked about with the, the mantis types who maybe they experience the waking, subtle, causal, altogether kind of thing from their perspective. Maybe in the same way, this what we think of as a dividing line between life and death isn't that way for some of these entities. And so often people will talk about what they perceive as an ET showed up, but so did their uncle that they hadn't seen in 20 years. And you know what do you, what do you do with that? Especially if you got into this because you were interested in biological ETs and cool spacecraft, suddenly the conversation goes in a completely different direction. I would also say that getting back to your initial question about these craft and are some of them organic, um, you know, this is again, when, when you think about how much our technology and our understanding of our own consciousness and physiology and all that's changed in 200 years, you know, even a hundred years, you go from a horse and buggy to having spacecraft that now have gone beyond the solar system. It's amazing when you think about our great-grandparents and how different the world was for them than it is for us. Unrecognizable, pretty much, within a couple generations. And then you add millions or billions of years to the mix. And then you just end up with a blank slate. Like your imagination literally just can't go there. Even when we think about technology, even when you read science fiction, most often, even when they say this is um, takes place in the year 2500, most of the science fiction notions you'll read about will be realized within 50 years. I mean, that's just kind of the way the, the human brain works. We still have to have the hooks to imagine what's possible, what's the next iteration or two or three. But beyond that, we just don't know. Just like with the developmental stages, we, we can't picture what one four levels from now is going to look like until it emerges. So Yes. And these interior understandings, like you talked about with consciousness, as well as exterior manipulation of our world with technology, I think at some point, those completely collapse into some way of making reality itself completely malleable, you know, your experience of physical reality. Some of these entities themselves may be post-biological at this point. We're beginning to imagine that now with our own technology and uploading consciousness, even though I think that's a category problem. It's not as simple as people think. But nevertheless, question begets question begets question. Because if you're talking about civilizations that are potentially millions or billions years ahead of us, then we have no baselines to compare this to. So the sky's the limit, in other words. How well do the visitors, the others, understand human development? Do they Understand, for instance, that abducting children can permanently fracture the attachment cycle. That person, that abductee, may spend the remainder of their lives trying to heal the issues that come from being taken. Is it ignorance? Is it by design because trauma affords advantages toward their ends? Is it simply collateral damage to them? What do they understand or fail to understand about human development? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think that I'm hesitant to make strong statements either way because different people have different experiences and I wouldn't want to minimize anyone's experience, certainly not dismiss it. Some people have very positive experiences and some don't. And even the ones that come to see their 
experience in a transformative way still have lasting effects. And like you say, it can even be deep psychological trauma. I think it occurs to me some of it could be lost in translation. If you have a species, for instance, that has more of a hive mentality, less of a emerging of a healthy ego that human beings go through, yeah, that that fracturing may not be understood well by them. And, you know, there's when I say the UFO literature, the challenge is it's so broad, right? You, you have almost every case you can imagine, but there's certainly been cases where people talk about that, where part of the hybridization program even is to create beings that have an understanding of both species, you know? And so if you're part gray and part human being, you can understand both. It's kind of like your proverbial Spock, you know, a little bit of Vulcan, a little bit of human can understand both. That may be going on while I think a lot of the entities that people are encountering mean well and are actually more sophisticated. And we can bring that around to an integral uh, perspective on higher levels of consciousness in a minute. But I think it's also possible there are some that are interacting with us because they have an extremely high level of consciousness and a high level of technology, again, to the point where that's become something we don't even recognize. And those ones mean well. There are others, I think, may have an, an early evolutionary capacity to dimension hop or something in their history, even though they may not be at a high moral level of development, yet they can do things that to us look really sophisticated, but to them, it just might be an early evolutionary trait. Those ones might just not know what they're doing or not be particularly concerned. I wouldn't assume that all of the entities that people are encountering are about love and light. I think many are, but not all. And certainly when you listen to some people's experiences, it doesn't sound that way. So again, I think it kind of runs the spectrum. I think you get, and then I would also add to the mix, the real challenging part is when you think about, again, holarchies and these expanding understandings of who we are and ever-expanding senses of oneness with your environment that keeps expanding out and out till you're at the point where you're cosmocentric, some of these experiencers talk about realizing that they made agreements before they ever came into this incarnation, you know, that they are actually partly already hybrid, or they've had an experience in a previous lifetime, previous incarnation as a different species altogether. And they volunteered because they recognized the earth was in a, a critical time and they wanted to help be part of the solution. And so they volunteered to come in. And so even though trauma happens in this incarnation, some people would argue that you have to consider that within the larger context of this sort of multidimensional aspect of who you are and even multi-incarnations. So all of that's in the mix. I don't know how to make heads or tails of all of it. I think all of those things are happening to some degree. And But the bottom line is I wouldn't dismiss anyone's experience, uh, whether it was good or bad. I want to ask a question that's a little hard to formulate, but if you can be patient with me, I'm really curious to get your response on this. Is it the traveler or the landscape which is the common denominator? I'm asking here about Valet's view that the phenomena have been here as long as we have. That abductions, aliens, share markers with old perennial anomalous events. But how do we know that is not conflating the territory with the travelers who move across the territory? As a thought experiment, 
Let's imagine we are looking at a harbor, and we are able to observe it for centuries uninterrupted. In the year 1700, a wooden ship enters the harbor. Flash forward a hundred years, a gray whale enters the harbor. Flash forward to 2021, a nuclear submarine enters the harbor. Then a paraglider flies overhead. Watching the same harbor over several centuries, a ship, a whale, a nuclear sub, a paraglider. I wonder if to some degree we're not just talking about four very distinct events that share a common topography. Is that kind of thing possibly happening with mantids, ghosts, fae, jinn? Perhaps they are all distinct, but their passports all grant access to a shared territory? It's like you're, you're saying that they're all non-conventional, right? But are we conflating that therefore maybe they're the same creatures when maybe they just share this capacity to dimension hop or whatever you want to call it, but might be distinct creatures? Yes? Yes, exactly. When I talked to Gordon White about this, he said a funny thing. He loves Valet as much as you and I do. Gordon generally agrees with Valet's view that all these phenomena cannot just be aliens visiting from other planets. On the other hand, Gordon says, some of them are aliens. They come from other planets, you know, they cross space and time. Not all of them, maybe not many of them, but some of them. Yeah. So is it important to not just imagine that our cultural interior has created some vast population of tulpas, for instance? What's your take on this weird part of the puzzle? Yeah, no, I actually, I've had that very thought myself. And uh, I think that, again, it's a, it does suggest a bit of a prejudice that if something's non-conventional, it's the same thing. And I don't think that necessarily follows. And I think it, again, comes down to some degree to this hubris we have where we assume, okay, we have a good take of what's normal, right? We know what normal existence looks like. So these things that show up that don't fit that, they must be the anomaly. And yeah, they're just shapeshifters or whatever, or maybe they read our minds as Valet has suggested and might just, they might show up in a certain way, manifest in a certain way that makes sense to us, but they're underlyingly trying to manipulate us with these different forms. Yeah, that's possible, but I completely agree with you that in fact, my tendency is to believe that reality is, again, much weirder, much more complex, much more multiplex than we can even fathom. I think we're at the very beginning of understanding it. To hear all of part two with Exo Academian, which is off the wall, bonkers, nuts, good, just become a patron or join plus. Click the link in the show notes. You get more than twice the content, huge extensions, exclusive content, secret handshakes, sacred weapons, cloaking devices, pregnancy tests that double as EMF meters. Just become a patron or a plus member. Support your favorite show or even this one. If you wonder how I feel about patrons and plus members, listen up. Patrons, plusers, pluses and patrons. You're a velvety shred from my childhood blanket. The one I self-soothe with, stroking your feathery fuzz till I drift off to slumber. 
You make me feel like the gooey glip-glop of a drip, droppy poppy seed, pollinating brains with the dopamine things that do the pleasure center stuff. Sin sinners, sinful, no, not this, not us. When we touch it's like I don't have a tail. But if I did, you'd see it wag and wag with a woof woof wonderful feeling. I wrote you a song, I baked you a cake, I bought you a plant, I wove you a wig, and none of it, none of it says the say I want said, sadly. How can I tell you? You're like two puppies, 69ing, but oh no, not that way. You were just spooning and you got topsy-turvy puppy tumbled up all the wrong way. And noticed new nozzle knobs, that's all. You make me feel like I smelled the gas cap a bit too long, which is just the right a bit too long. You make me feel, no, you let me feel. Like a bean bag, a big bag full of beans, being so happy you've been obliging the beans in your bag. You make me feel like I don't know what a bidet is. And I use a bidet. You, you pluses, you patrons, you apostate saints. You're my weeble wobbles, and you don't fall down.